Heavenly Father, we draw our attention to your Son, Jesus. We look to the cross as we gather, and we stand in awe of your great love and mercy for us. Jesus, we give you praise and thanksgiving that you would give your life to save us. We give you praise and glory because you are not dead, but you are alive. And we want to glorify you in this gathering, through the singing, through the reading of Scripture, through the time that we take bread and cup together that you have commanded us to do. We want to do all of it for your glory and praise. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes, our hearts, our ears, our minds to your word. And Father, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. First Peter chapter 2, verses 22 through 25. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The word of God. As we are reflecting on the cross of Christ and the work that he did when he hung there and he died, we focus in on this text by Peter, one of the apostles who witnessed Jesus' death, who saw Jesus suffer. And he also saw Jesus risen from death to life and saw him ascend into heaven. And therefore, we look at this text today, which is so filled with wonderful, glorious truth, even when we look to the cross, which seems to be such a ghastly thing. But it is glorious It is wonderful. And as we look at what Peter has written for us, I would remind you first that God has commanded that we are to be holy. God has commanded that we are to be holy people. And from the beginning, when he put Adam and Eve in the garden, he gave them a will to obey. But they disobeyed. They broke God's law. And what we see in Genesis 3 is the fall of mankind. And the sin that they committed in the garden that Adam committed has been passed down to every one of us, to every human being who has lived since that time. And God went further in calling a people to himself, the nation of Israel, and he gave them his laws and commands. And many of you might think, well, that is only for the nation of Israel, but it is for all of God's people now. And God gave Moses the Ten Commandments and the laws and told the people, do not break these laws. They are holy and God is holy. And in Deuteronomy chapter 31, God specifically said this to Moses in verse 12. Assemble the people, men, women and little ones and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God 
and be careful to do all the words of this law. God commands that his people be holy as he is holy. But when we read the truth of God's word, we realize this, no one has kept the law of God perfectly except one person. And that is who we praise today, Jesus Christ. Jesus also, when he walked this earth, he taught. And he said in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, You therefore be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Yet when we read scripture, we know that not one of us can be perfect because every single one of us has broken God's law. Peter draws our attention in verse 22 that Jesus committed no sin. Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. Jesus, who is God, came to this earth, humbling himself as was just what was read from Philippians chapter 2. And he added humanity to his divinity, being fully God, fully man. And Peter says in verse 22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Jesus Christ never lied, he never cheated, he never stole, he never lusted, he never even had anger, murderous anger in his heart, he did not slander anyone, whatever sin that's listed in scripture, he committed none of those sins, he never broke God's law, but kept it perfectly, he was sinless. And yet I asked this question this week, how is it? that the only perfect person ever to live and walk in this world was executed as a guilty man? Why would he be executed and go to the cross? Mark chapter 14 tells us of this in verse 55. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. The religious leaders hated Jesus. They brought false witnesses who lied and said that Jesus sinned and blasphemed. They hated Jesus. They spit in his face. They mocked him. They made fun of him. They punched Jesus in the face. They pulled out his beard. He was scourged. Crosses back, and the flesh was ripped from his body, and he was nailed to a cross. Yet he never broke God's law. Jesus suffered through it all because he was obedient to God the Father, who said, You will go and you will do this. Even when Jesus prayed before he was arrested in the garden, he says, Father, if there's any other way, take this from me, but not my will, but yours be done. If you look at the back of those cards, those half sheets you were given, you'll see Isaiah chapter 53 there. And I would encourage you to read that today, to read that tonight, because it tells us That even when Jesus suffered greatly, that he did not revile, as Peter says here in the verse, in verse 23. He did not threaten anyone. 
He did not revile and return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And in Isaiah 53, the prophet writes of Christ, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Jesus did not defend himself. He did not insult or condemn those who were taking him to the cross. And how hard is it for us when someone attacks us, slanders us, that we are so quick to open our mouth and defend. Jesus Christ did not defend himself. He did not threaten anyone to take them out because he is God. He did not revile as he was reviled. He suffered unjustly, yet entrusted himself to his heavenly Father. And Jesus Christ suffered and he died on the cross. On the cross, he hung there for hours and he bled profusely and he struggled to breathe. And he said a few statements there at the cross. And before he died, he said, it is finished. And you may ask, what does that mean? Because after Christ said it is finished, he breathed his last. He stopped breathing. The blood stopped flowing. He died on the cross. Yet what does he mean? It is finished. Well, Peter tells us in verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. And Jesus bearing the sins of his people in his body on the tree is the key to understanding Jesus saying, it is finished. Jesus' mission to come, to be born, fully man and fully God, so that he would redeem his people from slavery to sin by his shed blood. You see, at the cross, not only did Jesus Christ go through the physical suffering, Jesus Christ on the cross bore the sins of his people. And it was there as he hung, he took upon himself our lies, our hatred, all and every single sin you have ever done in your life. Jesus Christ died for those sins that you committed. As Paul the Apostle tells us that there at the cross, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That is what the work that Jesus was doing because as he was made sin, the sins of his people, God the Father poured out his wrath, the full cup of wrath upon his Son that is meant for you. And Jesus Christ bore that wrath so that his people could be forgiven of their sins, could be pardoned of their sins, could be made the righteousness of God the righteous, the perfect righteousness of Christ could be given to all who have faith 
in Christ alone. And he did that, as Peter tells us, so that we could have new life. He says in verse 24 that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Jesus Christ died so his people can live. Isaiah 53 says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. By his wounds or by his stripes, it says his people have been healed. Healed of the consequences of sin. This is not speaking of just this physical type of healing, but a spiritual healing in which God pardons his people because his son has shed his blood and bore the wrath so that you could be forgiven. Therefore, as you think of the suffering of Christ, that by what he went through, believers are healed from the great sin that they've committed against a holy God. And in this moment, you may be thinking about all of your sins. You may be thinking of all the ways that you've broken God's law. You may be feeling the guilt and the weight and the shame. But for the believer, the weight of the shame and the guilt of sin is gone. Because the work that Christ did is finished. And the believer who has faith in Christ in this moment has the righteousness of Christ. And you have been adopted by God the Father as one of his children. And that is the good news. That Jesus Christ would die in your place for your sins. And bear the wrath meant for you. So that you could be forgiven. Set free from slavery to sin. And given new life in Jesus Christ. And the good news does not end at the cross. Christ was placed in the tomb. And we celebrate every day, as we will highlight this Sunday, the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. His followers saw him. They ate with him. They touched him. They listened to his teaching. And 40 days later, after he rose from death to life, he ascended to heaven. And Christ is ruling now. We're not waiting for a kingdom to come. He's ruling and reigning now. He's conquered Satan. He's conquered sin and conquered death. And there is a day coming when Christ will return and he will judge the world. And all who are in Christ will be with him for eternity, spared from the wrath of God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And all who reject Christ will go to hell for all eternity, the place that was created for Satan and all of the fallen angels, where they will also be cast And for eternity, all those in hell will receive the full wrath of God the Father upon them for eternity. Therefore, for you who are in Christ, we reflect on the cross. But today is a glorious day because you know the truth that you are in Christ and you've been forgiven by the blood of Christ. And he prepares a place for you, as 1 Peter tells us, which will not fade away. It's not going anywhere, but it's set for you a great inheritance, not just a place with streets of gold, but being face-to-face with Jesus for all eternity.
Isn't that wonderful? But we must look to the cross to look to eternity with Christ, to know that Christ has made the way for his people. And therefore, he says, believe in me. And you will be saved. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That's what he calls all to do in response to the good news of the gospel. And for all who are in Christ, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so in this moment, as you reflect on the sins that you've committed against God, we confess our sins to the Lord. He knows it all. It's been forgiven at the cross, but he says to confess them to him for he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us. And therefore we reflect and we give thanks. And in verse 25, the last verse, Peter says, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd Sheep run all over the place and sheep run and they get lost and they don't want to follow the shepherd. And Jesus Christ says in John 10 that he is the good shepherd. And he says that we, his people, are just like sheep and we wander off the path. And Isaiah 53 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Therefore, brother and sister in Christ in this room, we are to respond to our good shepherd, to follow him closely, to give thanks and to listen to him because he says this of himself in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd, the good shepherd who has laid down his life for his sheep. Jesus was rejected. He greatly suffered. He died a brutal death. He bore the wrath of God the Father for the sins of his people. But he says he gave up his life freely because of his great love for us. His great mercy that he would give up his life. And we praise him because he's king, because he says he takes back his life. And that's why he's alive. And that's why we praise and we worship a risen God. And if you've come to this place and never heard this before, or the Holy Spirit has not opened your eyes to strike your heart in such a way, and you realize that you are in need of a Savior, call out to Jesus. There's no words to give you. Confess your sins before the Lord. Ask Him to forgive you. And Jesus Christ says you will be saved. He Himself bore our sins in his body, on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Father, we thank you that you would make a way to save sinners who have wronged you and broken your law 
and have come against you with hatred in our hearts, but you've made a way to make us your enemies, your children. And we say simply, thank you. We say, Jesus, we love you. We give you thanks that you would give your life for us. We desire to follow you, our good shepherd. We desire to live our lives for you. And in this moment, we reflect on the cross and we say thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.